Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS Podcast. Simon Alicia here in Melbourne, Australia. It is, as always, great to have you back. And yes, I do say that often. I'm joined by a special guest this week. I'm joined by John Handler, who is a Principal Solutions Architect. And what he does not know about search is not worth knowing. Welcome, John. Thanks very much, Simon. Happy New Year, everybody. Yeah. And um, you... Well, regular listeners would remember John because we've spoken a number of times about search and, in particular, the um, the Elasticsearch service. And I know a lot of people are interested in sort of the high level what Elasticsearch can do and and what our service allows them to do easier. And we thought we'd sort of do a little bit more of a deep dive around two topics today, around scale and security. But John, before we dive into that, do you want to give people just a, again that really quick, um, you know, what does the service do? What's it for? And then we'll dive deep. Sure. Amazon Elasticsearch Service is a open source compatible uh, version of Elasticsearch. And it is built and designed to be a drop-in replacement for your existing Elasticsearch uh, cluster. Uh, it is provides the AWS goodness around operational simplicity and uh, cluster management that makes it easy to run an Elasticsearch cluster on the AWS cloud. Um, primary benefits and, and the things that we've built on top of Elasticsearch. Um, first of all, it make, we make it easy to deploy clusters. Uh, a few clicks of the console with the API, SDK, CLI, you can easily select uh, the number of data nodes that you want, the number of master nodes that you want, your storage options, and deploy your cluster uh, with a few clicks of the mouse again. Uh, in addition, we make it easy to change your cluster configuration. So if you're running on some set of data nodes and you'd like more of them, or you'd even like to change the node type or even the storage type, again, with just a single API call, a few clicks of the mouse, you can change your cluster configuration. So that, that easy ability to deploy a cluster and, and even script it up uh, is one of the service features that we bring to you. In addition, um, we have high availability option uh, called zone awareness, and this will split your cluster into two different availability zones. Uh, we provide security for the cluster with identity and access management, AWS IAM policies. And we provide uh, data durability with automated backups that we run on a daily basis. In addition, you have the option to uh, back up yourself to your own S3 bucket. So all of this uh, is provided behind the REST API, the, uh, providing the REST API of Elasticsearch to you through a DNS endpoint. It is, uh, it is ri ridiculously easy to get started. In fact, even you know, I was using uh, the service late last year for some work that I was doing. And I was like, wow, I can spin this up really fast. Now I'm you know, figuring out my way around Kibana to do visualizations and all that sort of stuff. And and this is sort of one of the, the reasons why we're speaking again, because it kind of prompts that thing of when you make it really easy to create something, the obvious next question sort of suddenly becomes, well, how big do I make my cluster? Like, how do I size this thing? How do I make sure it'll perform, et cetera? Because we've sort of taken those lower order issues of, well, first start with server, then install software, then you know, create it. We, we don't have to do that now. Um, so, John, how do we figure out scaling for our use case? What What are the steps we can take? Yeah, I think there are many different levels to the scaling question. And overall, I would caveat this discussion by saying the only way truly to know how the your Elasticsearch cluster will perform is to deploy it and test it. 
Um, but there are some large kind of uh, points that we can make that can help get you started in the right direction. And the first one of those is that you want to uh, look at storage first as a way to understand how many nodes and what node type you need. And really the reason for this, uh, underneath Elasticsearch is backed by Apache Lucene. Apache Lucene is a uh, Java library, originally Java, it's in a, ported to a lot of languages now, but a Java library that uh, reads and writes indices. And these are disk files. So essentially underlying Elasticsearch's search capabilities you have uh, fundamentally a, a disk-backed ba- disk system. So it's appropriate to think about the sizing of the cluster to a first approximation in terms of the amount of storage that Lucene is going to generate and is going to need to store your indices. And f- fortunately, the, the process of figuring that is not so hard. Um, you have a set of source data. This is your corpus size. And really, we like to think of two different workloads in this, in this capacity. The first one is a single index kind of workload. This is a single document set workload, something like e-commerce, or perhaps it's a data lake or enterprise data sources that you're going to put into a single index. In that case, you can figure out the sizing by looking at what is the size of all of the data that you want to store. This is the, the first sort of primary workload. The second primary workload is a rolling index uh, workload. And this is generally tied to log analytics or other streaming data use cases. And in these use cases, you're going to have uh, an index for some time period and then a retention period of how many of those you want to keep. So in these cases, you can look at how much data you're generating on a daily basis and multiply by your retention period to understand what's the total amount of data that you want to store in the index. Um, for For the log analytics use case, if you don't know anything, you can guess that your log lines will be about 256 bytes, and you can guess based on the number of log lines that you're generating as well how much data uh, you're generating to store in the index. So in either of these cases, I start with here's how much data I have. In the single index, it's the size of my source data. In the rolling index, it's the size of a single time period, usually a day, time period's worth of data multiplied by the retention time. So that's and where you start. made the point at the start, which is which is really important, which is that you can, of course, t- you should test these things. And uh, I guess one of the differences, because this is a, an on-demand pay-as-you-go type service, um, you can take those rules of thumb, make some guesstimates, create a cluster, and and see if it works. And you know, if you don't like it, then you just tear it down and recreate a new one with a slightly different size. Because you can just t- change the instance types, can't you? Yeah, exactly. That's one of the nice things about the service. We make it very easy to test and iterate. Um, continuing a little bit with the discussion, so you now know the source data size. Now, as you're sending the data into Elasticsearch, Elasticsearch is going to be creating an index out of that data. An index is a different uh, is a data structure essentially, which is different than the source data itself. Um, the ratio of index to uh, corpus size is controlled by, amongst other things, the schema that you apply, in other words, your mapping, um, as well as the actual data itself. So there's, there's not an easy way to predict 
um, from source data how much index size you're going to have. Fortunately, we find in practice that typically the source to index ratio is usually 1 to 1.1. So there's usually just a little bit of inflation and your source size is roughly the same as your index size. Um, keeping in mind you need a little overhead, you can kind of say one-to-one. And again, test here is really important. So load some data in, see what the ratio is, and that'll give you an accurate way to predict how big uh, the index will be once it's, once it's filled with data. So if you have now the index size, that's really the on-disk size for your index. And that makes it very easy to say, okay, well, if I have storage of this much, then I need to have this many nodes. So like, for instance, if I have uh, one terabyte of data, that let's, again, keeping in mind the 10% overhead, let's say, okay, well, that's going to be about one terabyte of index. If I choose to have 512 gig EBS volumes, I would then need two nodes with 512 gigabytes uh, EBS volumes. So that's an easy way to get started. Now, I'll mention also that you often would have replication. So if you add a replica, uh, you add an additional one terabyte in my example. Uh, every replica multiplies by the size of the single index size. So looking at the whole picture, one terabyte of data would be about one terabyte of index. If I add a replica, that would make two terabytes of index. And then if I uh, want to deploy that on nodes with 512 gig of EBS, then that would be four nodes. So that's the first easy way to kind of get a feel for how many nodes do I need given my source size. Now I could use um, obviously CloudWatch metrics to track um, what the cluster is doing. So again, really it's a case of kind of monitoring and looking and seeing you know, is, is storage the gating item or, or am I running to you know, performance issues related to maybe CPU or memory, et cetera. Um, that, this is a starting point, isn't it, really? Right, exactly. And, you know, amongst the metrics that we publish for uh, publish to CloudWatch about the cluster, um, you definitely want to monitor your free storage space. Ultimately, you'd like to have, you know, 10 to 20% free storage um, just to provide some some room for growth, right? Um, and, and, you know, so go ahead. No, you go, John. <laughs> Well, I was going to move into sort of the next question in terms of scale, which is, well, then what instance type do I need, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and so we have, uh, you know, of the instances we support, we support the T2s. These are really dev and test. That's not a for a production workload. Uh, we have the M3s, which are balanced. We have the R3s, which give you additional memory. And we have the I2s, which give you additional disk. So... Looking at those, M3 is usually a good place to start. It has a good ratio of compute to storage to RAM. Um, we sometimes find, though, that, well, first of all, we only go to the 2x large on the M3s. So if you need more CPUs, you have to move over to the R3s. The R3s also have a ton of additional RAM. And one thing uh, you may not know is that the Elasticsearch JVM never gets bigger than 32 gig uh, for, of RAM, the heap. And this is because with Java, uh, you don't want to run the JVM so big that you run into long pointers. So 
31, 31 and a half uh, gigabytes is really the limit of the size of the JVM. So you may wonder, okay, I'm looking at the R3s and say, uh, you know, the 8X large has 260, 244 gig, can't remember off the top of my head, RAM. So I'm only running a 31, 32 gig JVM. What happens with that extra RAM? And so here's where Lucene being a file-based technology comes in because what ends up happening is as the data structures of the index are referenced, they live on disk. And so when you have additional RAM, those pieces of index structure will get swapped in and given some reasonable access scenario, uh, you'll take advantage of all of that additional RAM through file system caching of those pieces of files, which are the index structures for Lucene. So we look at moving to the R3, um, basically in order to support, again, a slightly faster interaction. In, in the best case scenario, you could get your whole index structures cached in RAM, and then essentially you're running RAM resident. Um, the other things that, that the R3s bring us uh, is additional CPUs, and that's helpful for heavy queries, things that require uh, a lot of computation. And these are things like aggregations, as well as uh, when you have sort criteria that are that are that take a lot of compute, uh, the R3s can be really uh, good for that. And the last one I'd mention again is the I2s. Um, the I2s provide up to 1.6 terabytes of storage. So if you're looking at a storage scenario where you have uh, you know, 15 or 20 terabytes, then really the I2s become your only options. And that gives you some good choices between different instance types. And as ever, you know, checking between the types for your particular use case is important. Uh, for, for listeners that are wondering, well, if I, you know, if I choose the, the R3 and it's, a, it's not the right fit, how hard is it to change? What's, what's the typical process of changing a, a, an existing cluster into a different set of instance types? Sure. Uh, that's really, the console is the easiest way to do that. Um, and you simply uh, click your change your cluster configuration button and on your main dashboard. And you can go in and select any instance type you like. And then, so if you're on the R3s and they're not really working out and you want to go to the M3s, um, then you could go and select M3s as the cluster uh, node types, uh, submit that change, And what we do in the background is we do uh, essentially a blue-green deployment. So we bring in new cluster nodes and allow Elasticsearch to replicate the data from the existing nodes to the new nodes, um, all with no downtime. Uh, So it's really very simple in the service to change your instance type. That is very a very cool capability. Again, it it lowers the cost of you know what I would call making the wrong call <laughs> on something. Yeah, exactly. And so if you, if you know you can get out of it and there's no downtime, you know you, you can you can kind of have a bit more leeway. Now, an area where there is no leeway, John, of course, is that of security. Is that we yes. want to be secure in everything that we do. What are some of the you know it's it's interesting before we, we dive into it, it's interesting that you know people often very much focus on uh, security of their instances. Uh, network security, et cetera. But then they'll use what you might call, I guess, you know, ancillary services or, or non, non-familiar non services. I don't really know how to put it, but you know, things that people aren't maybe as familiar with and they kind of forget to do the due diligence around how they should set it up to be secure. So what are some of the, the pointers you would get for people using Elasticsearch to be secure? Yeah, so uh, the first thing is to understand a little bit uh, the security model of IAM and how to write IAM policies. 
Um, essentially, you have a choice to put a policy on your domain. Uh, domain is our name for an Elasticsearch service cluster, along with the additional software that we use for the management. So domain is the group collective term for uh, your cluster plus. Uh, anyway, so you can place your, uh, your IAM policy on the domain, and you could also place your IAM policy on individual users uh, or roles. And when you send a request, um, if it's a user-based request, it needs to be signed, um, AWS IAM will figure out the union of all of the policies that apply when you send that request to figure out whether that user has access to uh, that resource to make that query to that command. Um, so you, you are not limited only to putting policies on the domain. You can put policies on the domain. You can put policies on individual users. And this allows you a great deal of flexibility in how you set up access for your Elasticsearch uh, cluster. Now, looking at the policies themselves, you have both a user-based policy, and in this case, it would have a principle, and that principle would have to send signed requests with the, you know, SIGV4 signing based on that principle's uh, credentials. As well, you can send up, you can set up a policy that is IP-based. So the IP-based policy allows you to restrict access to a particular IP and allows anonymous access from that IP, so not signed access. Those are the two main methodologies for setting up access control. I would say, you know, one area where uh, customers have some questions or often ask questions is in setting up access for Kibana. And we have a challenge here. Uh, Kibana itself is running on the client's web browser. So when you run Kibana, it's actually uh, the, the visualizations are created client-side, and then they're backed by requests to Elasticsearch um, to get the actual data for the visualizations. Um, because it's client-side, you generally don't have a static IP that you're issuing those requests from. Generally, it's people in your operations department, it's people across your organization. Uh, there may not be a single point that those requests are issuing from. On the flip side, Kibana is not, does not do request signing. So you can't exactly uh, use a user-based policy for Kibana. You have to uh, use the anonymous access somehow, right? So our recommendation in this case is to proxy the Elasticsearch uh, domain and provide at a single IP address. And then that allows you to uh, set up the access control for the Elasticsearch service domain uh, as you want. And then you can provide uh, basic HTTP auth at the, at the proxy level to authenticate uh, your, your people as they're coming and making these Kibana requests. That's a great way to, yeah, to to have that extra level of control that might not be native to the system. That way you see what's going on. So exactly. we're talking really about two elements here. We're talking about the, the management of the cluster and the, the access to the cluster. And these are two really important aspects when we're thinking about security. And that needs to be done up front. Like we need to plan who's, who's going to use it and in what way. And we have very granular control over that. Right. I will also mention there are some uh, AWS SIGV4 signing proxies uh, out in the wild in open source. 
And those would work as well. Uh, in that case, you could actually use that signing proxy and authenticate your, your people to that proxy. And then that could issue signed requests uh, in that way. So mm -hmm. that's, that's another way, or it's a, a proxy way anyway. Absolutely. Many, many ways to solve the problem. Yep. John, thanks again for coming on uh, on the podcast and diving a little deeper with with us. It's always great. And uh, certainly whenever there's something significant in Elasticsearch world to talk about, we'd love to have you back. Great. Thanks very much for having me and uh, happy to talk to you all today. Great. Thanks, John. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We really do appreciate uh, you sending us your feedback. AWS podcast at amazon.com. And, of course, until next time, keep on building.